Last week as I watched Bruce come up here, I was thinking to myself that, wow, I'm gonna be up here in one week. Definitely out of my wheelhouse. This is not, not what I do full time. And I had this funny thought. I was looking at the pulpit and I was, I was thinking, well, what if I get dizzy? Is it big enough to lean on? Will it hold me up? I was wishing for the old school one where you, I could be hidden partially behind it, but this is like not much there. So, so um, I, I love Sunday mornings. I, like many of you, I work um, throughout the week. I, we have the stresses of the week, the, the challenges of the week. And when Sunday morning rolls around, it, it's, it's the highlight of my week. I love coming and worshiping collectively with brothers and sisters who desire to, to lift up the name of Jesus and at the same time desire to be a light in our community. And so it's, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. It's a, a pleasure over the last five years to be part of Anthem. Um, something I hadn't done a lot of my life was, was really lift up the, the, the staff of the churches I've been in. And I... I'm trying to do that more, and I, I'm so thankful for Pastor Chris and the elders and their families and all the staff and the work they put in, and, and I feel over the last year in particularly, I've tried to devote more time to praying, and, and I think I'm seeing the fruit. I just see, I see this church as being a church that's making a difference in our community, and I'm super thankful to be here. So before we get into the Word, I wanted to share just a few things about myself. I know many of you, but we've had so many new faces in the last year that um, there's so many new faces that I'd like to meet, but um, I haven't yet. I'm a father of five. Uh, my oldest is 28. She lives in South Carolina with our two grandchildren and my son-in-law. My son Carson is in the Navy down in Coronado, and then I have uh, Esperanza, Gabriella, and Ian, and my wife Desiree. Um, two of my kids are here today, but um, I'm not a pastor. You probably figured that out. Although, like most pastors, I love people. I, I, I love people. I love, I love um, small group type settings. I'm more of an introvert. This is not what I'm used to. I work in pediatrics, taking care of kids in our, in our community as a pediatric nurse practitioner. And so I'm pretending that all of you are between the ages of two and, actually, I like five. I like five-year-olds a lot, so that's going to help me get through this, so. When Pastor Chris asked me to speak a couple months ago, my initial response was, internally, was, I don't want the pressure. I don't want more stress. I just want to enjoy my summer. <laughs> it's North Idaho. It's, we've got these 12 weeks, right, where we, we want to max out the weather and the lakes and the mountains and all the things we love. And that was my, my initial response, but I prayed about it and it took some time and I knew quite a way, or very soon that I was supposed to step out of my comfort zone and, and step out in faith knowing that God had a word for me to share. I was reminded of Balaam and the donkey. God used the donkey to speak so he could probably use me. Um, but, but it's fascinating that when, when, when confronted with, with big challenges as Christians, I mean, we're not immune to this, often our first response is to stay in our box, stay in our comfort zone, 
And that's my response as well, but I, I'm trying as I grow in the Lord, as I, as I hopefully mature, I'm trying to, to, to not follow that instinct, but to step out into that place of fear and then let faith kind of take over and allow the Lord to do what he wants to do. So here I am today. So, <laughs> okay, so let's, let's pray, guys, and then we'll get going. So, Lord, I, I, I come to you, God. I just pray for just your peace, and Lord, your word is sharp and powerful, and I'm comforted by the fact that I don't have to, I don't have to sell it, Lord. It, it's going to accomplish what you desire to accomplish, Lord. Praise your name. Praise you, Jesus, that, that it's alive and powerful. And so I pray today, Lord, as we, as we get a little personal here, as, as I share a little from my own um, struggles, Lord, I pray that, that somehow our lives would be changed as a result, that we wouldn't leave, Lord, like, like we have in so many times where we just leave and we forget and we get on with the busyness of life, Lord. So today, I, I pray, Lord, that there would be just be many revivals breaking out in our hearts. So please speak, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen. One of the challenges in preparing for this message was trying to come up with a topic. If I thought it would have been easier for the elders or Pastor Chris to just say, here, talk, teach us. Um, but they didn't, and so I started to pray a couple months ago, and I didn't get an answer right away. I, I just, that's how it is sometimes. God just doesn't always audibly say, do this. But I felt a direction that he was wanting me to go, and it was on a, on a topic that is relevant to me and I think is probably relevant to most of us here today. And... The subject is essentially how the, there's a pull of the world um, against us as Christians. We're living in this beautiful place. There's this growth that's happening around us, and it's so easy to get caught up in just this pressure to sort of divert and not be about the main thing, which is pursuing Jesus. We're often chasing and living for the wrong things. And... Over the years when I've been in that place, I've seen that the fruit I'm bearing is, is not much. I'm in this up and down cycle of, okay, Lord, I'm all in, or now I'm distracted. End result is little fruit. And we're living in a world, guys, you, you know this, where uh, we're told to pursue everything but Jesus. It's a culture that tells us that comfort and security and happiness is found in loving ourselves, maybe, maybe building wealth or enjoying the good life that we, that we have. And we're bombarded with distractions. The constant news cycle telling us what to think. Simply maybe our own inability to turn off the devices and just be still. I know that's a struggle. It's a struggle with my patients. I, I have teenagers that are addicted to technology. They can't shut it off. But I, it's not unique to teenagers. It's, it's common with all of us. that continuous force that's trying to move us in a direction away from truth. And I've struggled with the tension of trying to follow Jesus while living in the fast-paced, secular, pleasure-seeking world. This tendency to pursue even maybe, you know, good things, distractions, comes at the expense of excellent, excellent things. And it's a tough balance. It's a tough balance to 
um, provide for a family, go to work eight hours a day, have some emotional energy to give our kids when we come home, while at the same time being all in for Jesus and, and maybe stepping out into some other areas. There's a, a song we sing here, um, sometimes here, an old hymn called Come Thou Fount of Blessing. And it's always reminded me of my potential to drift. And the, the line goes, many of you probably will recognize it, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That hits me every time, just, just knowing my own potential to just sort of drift off course. Like many of you, I've seen friends and family and colleagues and, and people that name the name of Jesus completely give up, pull away, and avoid fellowship and ultimately give up on following Jesus. I have friends today that have been out of fellowship for five years over church splits, over, uh, over relationship issues with other Christians. It's, a, it's heartbreaking. So... I want to talk just a little bit about how we can have that consistent walk with Jesus where the things of the world are not grabbing us and leading us off course. So we're going to look at a few verses of scripture and hopefully walk away encouraged and built up. So please turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. What does Chris always say? Word. Oh, yeah, okay. So in this section, the Apostle Paul is in jail. He's writing to a young pastor in Ephesus, Timothy. And remember that, and, and many of you know this, but the culture of Ephesus was very similar to today. This was where, it was a, it was a trading center. There was a, a, a statue of Artemis, this goddess, and polytheism and all kinds of distractions and temptations. And in this letter, Paul is stressing the importance of enduring, continuing, staying strong when opposition ar arise. And he uses the example of the soldier, the athlete, or the farmer who reap a reward for enduring to the end. So we're going to read through this whole chapter and then get into a few pieces of it. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. 
my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I know this is a, a long section, and we're not going to have time to get into every verse. In the first few verses, Paul lists the many ways that people will veer off course in regards to their walk with Jesus. When we read through this list, it's pretty easy to see that this is part of our own culture today. Not, not too difficult to see that we're living in difficult times. We see people that are proud. We see Christians that are turning away and lovers of self. We see the results of people seeking anything but Christ. But there's a section that, as I was praying for a word from the Lord, that I wanted to highlight that seemed so relevant to the times we live in today. And down in verse 4, and part of verse 5, this section, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Sadly, without passionate love for God, we just have an outward shell of a, of a faith. We may observe religious customs. We go to church. We've given God a piece of our heart, but we haven't given him our whole heart. We might say, God, you can have this area, but you can't have these areas over here. These are mine. This is comfortable. This is safe. We're sort of delusional. And we hold back. And essentially, we become similar to what the term Jesus used for the Pharisees, which is whitewashed tombs. We have this outward appearance. But there's no power in it. Paul goes on to say in verse 7, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. I've, I've grown up in the church. I, I was raised by um, wonderful Christian parents. So I've sat through teaching after teaching. I've heard the word. I've heard amazing pastors, and I've studied God's word, and I've, I've, I've turned the radio on. I mean, we, we have an abundance of good teaching, right? But it's a sober reminder that it's possible to be in church reading the word, while not embracing the truth and allowing God's word to convict, lead, and transform our lives. Our, our heart, or actually the result of, of a love relationship with Christ is that we're gonna give him our heart. We're gonna hand it over and he's gonna be able to do something with that. And 
be a light around us. You know, when we read through a passage like this, it's also easy to go, oh, I identify that in that person and that person and that person and not reflect that it might be in our own heart as well. And in, in preparing us, God is just, man, it's just reminded me of, of just how easy it is to, to just veer off course. And I've lived in a way, I've lived in this way at times. Even as a man who loves the Lord and desires to follow him, there's been times when the cares of this world have consumed me. I've been led off course and find myself living in a way in which I'm relying on my own strength. Going to the Lord is maybe option three or four after I've tried to fix things. Relying on my own strength and resources. I'm not outwardly pursuing a sinful pleasure necessarily, but I'm caught up in a culture that's trying to chase a better life. In my own life, it it sometimes looks like this. Jealously guarding my free time. This is my time. Not completely yours, Lord. Well, what about that opportunity to to serve over there? No, this is my time. It might look like over-focusing on money or being distracted by portfolios or preparing for the future. Living for vacations or hobbies. What occupies our mind? Um, I've got this problem. I don't know if anyone can relate. Of When I'm going to buy something, I really research it. Any, any, anyone in here struggle with that? Yeah. Is that a man thing or is that, I don't know. But man, for the week or two that I'm into this, I'm just all in, man. And my, my mind is occupied by stuff that's not that important. I'm distracted. God's getting my leftover time. He's getting my leftover energy. And maybe most important, he's getting the leftover meditations of my heart. And, it, you know, I, I was thinking of just, just a small, few degrees off course can lead to being way off course over time, right? I, I flew helicopters commercially when I was younger, and I was trying to get back from Missoula, Montana, to Boise, Got into some weather, had to land on a hilltop, and I, I was waiting, and the Bitterroot Valley is very mountainous, and was trying to follow a river drainage, but the weather had come in. Story short, I was trying to make it to Salmon, Idaho for fuel. And as I took off again from this hill, I was waiting, waiting for weather to clear. I was sort of navigating these valleys, and, and I was, in my mind, I started to get really turned around. I was like, ah, my compass. It's saying I need to hold this course. Can't remember the, the, the degree. Let's just say 270 degrees. But it, I felt like we were going in the opposite direction. So I, I went to my other navigation, the GPS or Loran, and it's like, ah. But I had to resist that temptation because to, to go the, another way because I knew Salmon is a little town surrounded by mountains. If I missed that by a couple degrees, I was going to find myself in a world of hurt, out of fuel, um, not in a good situation. And that's really how life is. We don't, the small little veering off can lead to 
ending up in a place that's far from where God intended. And it's not like this departure happens suddenly. It's usually a process that plays out over time. Busyness crowds out prayer time and time in the Word. Activities crowd out fellowship, community, and service. And the end result is like the scripture says above, we have this appearance of godliness, but we deny its power. And we're, when we're living in this way, it, we're denying God's power, and, we're, and we, are, we are powerless. And, but fortunately, this isn't the end of the story. Thankfully. Paul goes on to tell us in verse 10, a reminder of, of how Timothy should be living to avoid falling and chasing after a form of godliness. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my steadfastness. And then verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul modeled a life of purpose and love and and he was reminding Timothy, Paul is an old man at this point. Timothy's a young, a young guy. He's reminding him to follow his example. And he's reminding Timothy of the importance of enduring, staying, persisting, and that word continuing in the word. I think it's important to point out that this isn't a workspace program. <laughs> I've got to endure, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to strive. I, and, then, and now, I, now I've arrived. It's not that at all, but it's more of a natural response to someone who's in love with Christ. It's, it's a desire to be in God's word, hearing from him, being built up, being equipped. And loving God's word and meditating daily in it is the way to be equipped and have the ability to resist that power of the enemy and sin. And then, in, like verse 17 says, we're equipped for every good work at that point. Back in chapter four on verse 13, Paul also, to reiterate, or even before this chapter said, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me. So throughout this book, it's reminding, he's reminding Timothy of the power of scripture and the word. Sometimes as we're living out our Christian life, we forget what God has said and what God has accomplished. Um, And maybe there's a tendency to, I don't know, it just seems like I've, I have to be diligent and sort of intentional to meditate on the things God has done and when he showed up in the past. And oftentimes by reading his word is when he reminds me of that. And once again, those of us who maybe grew up in the church or those who have been followers of Jesus for decades, we can sometimes take his word for granted. Oh, there it is sitting on the nightstand or it's been a few days since I've been in the word. But, and I've done that. And 
I just pray that that freshness of God's word that, that we had as, as new believers would just take hold and we would return to our first love. Isaiah 55, verses one through three, just a sort of a reminder of that freshness, that, that, that thirst that I desire to have regarding God's word. And the prophet writes, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for which, that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me hear that your soul may live. This, this is ah, just powerful. You know, it's, it's like the antidote to following the wrong things. Why are we seeking after things that will never satisfy? That last, those last five words, that your soul may live. Powerful. And God extends this invitation what to what appears to be everyone, but it's not really everyone. It's those who are thirsty. Come those who thirst. That's a qualifier, right? We know physiologically that thirst is, is a God-given response to, being, to needing to hydrate, right? So we need a hydration. We could go maybe three days without it. It's much more powerful than even our than, than hunger. We can't survive long without water. And thirst is a metaphor or a symbol for spiritual longing. Jesus promised in Matthew 5 that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. There's been times in my life where I haven't been thirsty. I'm content with where I am and There's really, there's a sense that there's no need for anything else. I'm content, satisfied. Not really seeing my need for that living water. But the, the opposite of that is a desperate person who recognizes who they are outside of Christ and who desires to come and drink and be filled. It's that woman at the well story, right? It's like, come and drink from a well that never runs dry. My prayer is that we will respond to this inv invitation to drink just as the person desperate for water. Over the years, I, I've, I like to read, and I've been encouraged by examples of men and women who have lived this out, um, have lived out this passion for God and this consistent walk. I, I've read the biographies of Eric Little and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Hudson Taylor and Amy Carmichael and Hannah Moore and Corey Timboom and many more, and they're examples of Christians who truly counted the cost of following Jesus and knew that the peace, joy, and fellowship with him was better than anything the world could offer. I know many of you have read, read these as well. And I, found, I find it helpful to have people in my life that are faithful in living this out. And there, there, is a, there is a man that has 
been incredibly dear to me over the years, and unfortunately, I don't get to see him very often. His name is Henry. It's a good name. Henry? Out there somewhere. Um, and I, I just, as we close, I want to tell you a little bit about Henry. And, and I just want this to be an encouragement. Not in, in, in no way a condemnation or anything like that, but just an encouragement. So Henry, Henry is um, one of the three sons of, of our director in India. Um, I've been privileged to work with a ministry in India called Send Hope. We have 16 orphanages and a bunch of churches around India. And Henry was educated as a lawyer at one of the top universities in India. He's brilliant. <laughs> um, inter interesting story. His dad was an orphan, supported by a German man, so all the boys have German names. Ulrich, Heinrich, and Frederick. So Heinrich goes by Henry. Kind of, you might be wondering how he came about his name, but um, we have a picture of Henry. That's Henry on the on your right, I guess, next to Caleb. One day we're walking and, or not walking, but working and traveling through India. We typically jump all around when we're doing medical trips. And I, I asked him a question. And I said, I said, Henry, your brother came over to the States, Ulrich, and he got his MBA and he, he worked in America for some time and did really well. Would you like to come over and, and uh, just bring your family, tour some of the supporting churches, and, and spend some time just in America. And I was, I was shocked by his response. He said, no. I mean, it was, it was immediate. It, it, was, it was immediate. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? And he said, I, I don't want to be tempted by comfort and distracted from what I'm really supposed to be doing for the Lord. I was like, oh, man. Uh, okay. It, it really, it, I think the most powerful thing about that statement was it was instant. It wasn't anything to think about. He had worked this out in advance. Henry, he knew his propensity to be persuaded by a comfortable life and distracted. He, he was a lawyer for International Justice Mission previous to coming to work for us. He gave up a salary. IJM is a, a group out of Washington, D.C., very established. He walked away from that to go to a city in, in the north. And you could go to the next slide. That's Henry and his wife, Sashi. And then the next... next. He gave it up to go to, that's his house. It's about the size of the stage, um, the cook outside. But he went to the city because he wanted to start an orphanage, one of our HIV homes for kids. And, what, but what you have to realize, this is the most Hindu city in India. It is dark. Nobody wants Jesus in that city. Henry felt called to there, so seven years ago he went there and I can, I can say by God's grace, um, today there are, there's a thriving orphanage, um, there's a school, 
and Henry has even been able to get out into the surrounding villages and house, house churches have sprung up in this area. And I mean, when you meet this guy, I mean, when we, we, hear, the, we hear the term warrior, you know, Henry's a warrior. He's a warrior for Christ. People want to kill him. I mean, on one of our trips, his dad said, yeah, for $500, there are people that would just take Henry out. And we've had to go into different places at night to see some of our kids there because they don't want Christians there. But I, when I think about this, this faith and this, this awareness of, of the potential to drift, he had that worked out. And I, I just, my challenge today for us is that we can sort of take from that and, and, and be encouraged to knowing that, that our fear, you know, living in fear of, of pursuing Christ completely is not, is not the answer. That, that, that inhibits what God wants to do. My desire is to live out these days with a passion for Jesus that leads to a passion for the lost, just like in this case. I, I don't want to be paralyzed by an inconsistent walk, which is self-absorbed, leading to that powerless life that Paul described above. So just as I, I, I want this to apply to my own life, I, I just encourage all of you, as Paul admonished us, stay in the word. Let's apply it to our lives and be committed to living it out with passion and conviction as Paul told Timothy, continue in the things you've learned. Don't isolate. Stay in community and accountability. And spend time in prayer. I mean, spending time with the one who knows us like his own son, we neglect that. I pray that we long for God just as Isaiah talked about, longing for water went through. The days we live in are challenging, it seems that in my life, I've, I haven't seen, and I'm, I just turned 50 this year, the obstacles, distractions, and problems facing Christians today are, are greater, I, I think it's fair to say, than any other time in my life. But we know that through the ages, God has shown up. He's, he's not overwhelmed. We can look through history and see times where Christians seem to be on the ropes, and God showed up and did a work. And I pray, I pray that the Lord would, would use us in a way where we can be his hands and feet, change the culture around us. So as we, as we close here, um, I would just ask that we just close our eyes for a moment. And let's, let's take time to search our hearts, maybe evaluate what we're truly living for. I ask that God would show us where we've veered off course, where we're consumed by living and chasing after things that won't satisfy. Maybe Maybe ask that God would identify areas in our life where we've refused to listen because of fear of what it will cost us. Is Jesus truly number one or have we placed him down the list of priorities in our lives? In no way is this a time for guilt or condemnation, but I, 
I just, I, I just hope this can be a time of renewal and a moment to respond to the Holy Spirit. So please just take, take a minute. Lord, we just, uh, we just close now, Lord, coming to you with just, a, just an expectant heart, I hope, Lord, where, where we desire to be renewed. You're so merciful and long-suffering, Lord. You, you're gentle. So God, help us to respond. Whatever it is that you're, you're showing us and wanting to teach us, help us to be people who are about your business, Lord, in our homes, with our kids, for the young people here when they're in school, when they're out and about in jobs, for us in our professions, Lord. We don't have to go to India, Lord to be about your business. It happens, it happens right here, Lord. Help us to be faithful, God. We desire, Lord, one day to hear, enter in good and faithful servant. So please, Jesus, build us up, grow us, and just do a work, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.